0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate, of the hockey news. As you well know, Pittsburgh Penguins season is underway, did not start the way they wanted to start. We will break down Tuesday night's game and kind of talk about some of the stuff that we're hoping does not continue and some of the stuff that it would be interesting to see continue. Obviously, talking about Penguins blowing another third period lead. It was a story throughout all of last season. We'll get to that here in the first segment, but also. Interesting deployment by Mike Sullivan when it comes to the blue line in the first game of the Eric Carlson era with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and then we'll debut a new segment at the end of the show today called Double-Edged Sword. One positive, one negative takeaway from the week that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but considering there was only one game, we'll take our positive and negatives from that against the Chicago Blackhawks, but let's start it off with that familiar issue biting the Penguins in the butt in the season opener. Penguins dropped the game 4 to 2, but they had a 2 to nothing lead midway through the second period, a 2 to 1 lead going into the third period, and then the Blackhawks score 3 in the third period including an empty net goal to cap it off and a 4 to 2 loss for the Penguins. Last season Horwat, the Penguins blew 12 third period leads which was tied for first in the National Hockey League. How concerned are you with the fact that this has come out in the first game of the season this year now too?
0: I don't know if genuinely it's a real concern per se. Uh, it's definitely frightening that it's the same issue with this much turnover. It's definitely not it's definitely not the way to start your season, uh whenever you know, you promised when everyone from top to bottom promised that this year would be different, right? Um fans came in ready to be hurt again and they got hurt again. That's kind of the mindset <laughs> that a lot of fans left that game with. It wasn't so much that we're concerned on the season. It's that, um, holy heck, you did it again. Like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's a lot of season left. There's a lot of time to, A, get something like this out of the way early, and, B, learn from those certain mistakes. Uh, sure, it happened a lot last year, but you have to keep the foot on the pedal um, at the end of these games, I, it, this one it was a little bit more deceiving. Of what did they do wrong? I mean, they were just getting outplayed beginning to end. Not beginning to end. But they were just getting outplayed. It was a little more of well, what could they have done differently? There's a lot of focus on, you know, keeping Connor Bedard out of the net. Um, a lot of focus on just trying to generate offense. I mean, they still piled up 40 shots, and Peter Mrazek yeah. did make. Uh, I mean. Not enough to really keep the Penguins in the game, but made multiple phenomenal saves. I Don't know what it is about him against the Penguins. Uh, he does well, which can be a part of this, but won't be the main discussion. Um, it was interesting, though, right? Like, what, the, the, I don't think fans are necessarily concerned as for the season as a whole, as an entirety, but they are definitely wary of the fact that, hey, this is exactly what the downfall was last year you mentioned 12 blown leads in the third period and they missed the playoffs by a point you flip one of those games and you're on to something so at least for me it's not necessarily a concern but it is a uh, definitely not the way you wanted to start the start the season considering how last year went
1: yeah at the end of the day it is one loss it is the one game of the season that we have and overreactions are going to happen but at the end Mm -hmm. of the day they have 81 more chances to right that wrong i think the most concerning part is that eight of the 20 players that took the ice on tuesday night were not here last year they were making their penguins debut and you still have that that same issue and here's the thing you lose to the chicago blackhawks people are not going to be happy about that because the chicago blackhawks aren't supposed to be world beaters this year. They're probably and likely going to be a lottery team once again this season, despite having Connor Bedard. But still, you know, if you lose to them on opening night, you lose to them on opening night. The Penguins losing to the Blackhawks is a tale as old as time. But it's the way they lost that a lot of people are saying, oh, man, that's a red flag. That is a red flag. And sometimes, hey, you push through the red flags. We've seen that. And sometimes you just see it compound on each other. But that's the problem is – Having it come up in the first game just tells everybody that's watching this might be an issue this season. Whereas I don't think that was going into anybody's head going into that game. Yes, I saw as this period turned from two to three and the Penguins were up only two to one. A lot of people say, uh oh, well, let's see if they can fix those demons from last year. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody heading into that game was like, OK, well, hopefully they fix the the third period issue. Everybody was saying it's a new era. It's a new team. We'll see how it looks on the ice. But uh, to see that be the issue and then a couple other issues that were evident last year were evident again on Tuesday. Uh, it's just something whereas everybody has tried to move on from that era of Penguins hockey. And that feels like remnants are slipping through into this new pristine chapter uh, for Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins.
0: Yeah, there was no, there wasn't a bad vibe heading into the game at all. It was all sorts of positivity. Of we don't even, we have a new face in the front office. We have a new bottom six. The core is still confident and as healthy as ever. There's the Eric Carlson edition. Oh yeah, also it's the Connor Bedard debut. There's a lot of attention on this game. There's a lot of good vibes heading in on both sides of the puck. There's a lot of um, just freshness. A lot of. It, it felt like it felt like the first day of school um, I, I don't know how else to put it, but that's what it felt like because there was a lot of good things going into it. You weren't thinking about you know the downsides of last year. you were kind of just thinking about well, hey, you know what Crosby Malkin had a, had some pretty good seasons last year. Um, we canned the guy we think uh, was our biggest downfall and we brought in the biggest possible name. Oh, yeah, we brought in the biggest possible name on the trade market. Sure, Tristan Jari is still here, but we have talked ourselves into that being a good thing. That was the vibe heading into the game, and then heading into the third period, it was, oh, no, here we go again. That's why it was just the wrong way to start the season. Had they had a game like this in two weeks, maybe we feel a little different. Mm -hmm. uh, Because, you know, who knows what kind of games you had for the last two weeks, but... This it, because it was game one. It was the exact same way you ended last season, against the same team, no less. Uh, and like I just mentioned, you had all this fresh start going in. It was just the wrong way to start the season, the wrong way to go with going to game number one, uh, and just kind of fumble. You just fumbled yeah. it. And like I said, like we said, it's not the end of the season already. It is overreaction season, but it is not. <laughs> Yet time to panic. the The room was a little muted, I would say, after the game, but definitely didn't feel, you know, as just dead that it did last year. You know, like the good <laughs> vibes are still around. Yeah, I mean, go, going into the room at toward the end of last season was it was like walking into the fifth layer of hell. You really didn't know what exactly you were gonna get from the players or from Sullivan, but something about You know, game one it was still very much there's still something to look forward to. There's still stuff learned, stuff to learn from. Um, You know, Sullivan said before the game, no, no home opener is ever you know run of the mill. It's all it's all always uh, amplified. Uh, But afterwards, I mean, Mike Sullivan's your cat, your usual upset at the game. But you know, I think there's going to be a ton of confidence going into practice today and going into Washington tomorrow.
1: Now, of course, it sports and everybody that follows sports are prisoners of the moment. And moment right now is 0-1-0 with that, that blown lead loss to the Chicago Blackhawks on home ice. But if this persists, if this is an issue throughout the season for the second straight season for the Pittsburgh Penguins, they can't hold a lead in the third period, they come out when they have a lead in the third period, and it's not like the Pittsburgh Penguins came out on Tuesday and they played well, but they just couldn't convert and then... The Chicago Blackhawks just got lucky. There were a couple lucky bounces for the Blackhawks, but you could feel the momentum slipping away. You could see the Pittsburgh Penguins take two penalties in the first five minutes of the third period when you have a one-goal lead. It's stupid mistakes, and it's not forcing the issue. I thought they did a little bit more yesterday than they did on average last... Or not yesterday, Tuesday, than they did on average last season when this happened. But again, it's just the team, after two periods where they mostly played solid hockey, coming out in the third period with a lead and saying, okay, we're just going to sit back and try to defend our own. And it just doesn't work out for this team. They're not built that way, so I'm not sure why they continue to do it. But if this persists, Horwat, do you see this more as a coaching issue or a player's issue? Because we asked the same question last year, and I remember my answer was, this is a player's issue. This is not a coaching issue because when you have guys like Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, it's on them to set the stage. Do you think if this persists this season, is it a coaching issue or is it a player's issue? Now that we know that we have all that new faces and it still happened on Tuesday, we'll see what happens going forward. But which one is it?
0: It's really it. That's honestly tough to say. I think it might be a little bit of both this time around because well, yes, there's a ton of there is a ton of new faces and most of them are defensive minded. They're not going to be able to get you um, those extra goals, those put away the game goals. They're going to try their best to keep the puck out of their own net. They're not going to be super focused on tacking on the insurance tally. Um, you know, then that then and that's what makes it up to Mike Sullivan to deploy the right people. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Eric Carlson. Led the team team in minutes, right? If I double check, yeah. Yeah, Um, Just over 26, yeah. Yeah, that guy's going to bring you offense. He's going to make, I know one thing, we'll talk about it later, but Eric Carlson's going to make so many forwards play defense this year. So (laughs) i noticed that so quickly. Everyone's got to be ready for that. Um, So he's a guy that can bring you offense. He can give you that insurance goal. Um, I think this time around, because there's a bit more of a defensive deployment, it might be going both ways. And that's especially because Crossing Walk and Latang don't like sitting back and playing defense. Mm-hmm. They want to be recording more points, scoring more goals, and tacking on that insurance goal to protect from uh, you know th- this exact situation. So if they're not if they're not able to produce, maybe it's on them. But also it depends on how the deployment is. I didn't really pay much attention to who was be- being deployed uh, toward the end of the game. So obviously we're all a little rusty. want we'll to catch back up into game speed, but I think for now it could fall both ways, especially because it's a new season. Mm-hmm. Mike Sullivan said himself, he wants to grow as a coach and become a better coach for his players and also, um, strive for the best each and every day so that he, he and his coaching staff lead by example. Uh, everyone's going to take blame, no matter who you ask. They will all take blame for every situation. Uh, and that just might be the way it goes. It might be just on everyone this time around.
1: Yeah, when I look at this, and last year I did say, I was like, hey, listen, it's Crosby, it's Malkin, it's Latang. They're the leaders on the ice. They're the ones that are going to be out there a lot of the third period with a one-goal lead or a two-goal lead. They need to set the tone. They need to set the standard that we're not going to sit back, we're going to go out there, and we're going to try to score a goal because the best way to, to protect a one-goal lead is to score a second goal, right? The best way to protect a lead is to continue to score. And I get it, that it's an imperfect system because the other team is also trying to score and also trying to stop you. So yes, it's not as easy as it sounds, but when I look at this, whether they're future Hall of Famers or not, Sullivan needs to ensure that this team plays the right way. And that's the entire team. That's not just you need to make sure Laura Zeller is on his P's and Q's. You need to make sure that, you know, Drew O'Connor and P.O. Joseph and Marcus Pedersen on their P's and Q's. You need to ensure that guys like Eric Carlson and Chris Letang and Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin and and Jake Gensel, you need to ensure that these guys are playing the right way and have the right mindset going into, one, the game overall, and two, into the third period when you have a, a lead in the end of the second. I mean, this is a problem that has happened in the past. He needs to take, you know, umbrage with that fact, and he needs the light of fire under their butts going into the third period. Hey, you guys remember what happened last year? This is our first opportunity to say that narrative is done. That story is is over, and the book is closed on that. They didn't do it on Tuesday. We'll see if they're able to do it going forward, but I, I do see this as more of a Mike Sullivan issue than it is a player's issue. Yes, they have their faults and they have their responsibility for this. But if it's a continuous thing, especially into a new season with almost 50% of your roster being turned over, that becomes a coaching issue. And I'll I'll say this because it needs to be said because I know people will get in the comments. Mike Sullivan's not on the hot seat. Mike Sullivan is not getting fired anytime soon. I think he still has, this is including this year, six years left or something like that crazy on his contract because he signed that extension. (laughs) It's not
0: six, he's going, this is the last year of his contract, and then it's three years after this. They signed that contract extension uh, shortly after Fenway got in, it was, no sorry, it was right before last season. So he had two seasons left on his deal before he signed for three more years, Uh, which is why every time I see someone discuss the idea of Mike Sullivan being on the hot seat, I kind of roll my eyes, you might be right, by the way, like those people might be right that he should be on a hot seat there should be some changes Mm -hmm. coming i mean maybe mike sullivan does feel a little you know comfortable in his situation because he has that contract that has not started yet Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's it's feasible that you know people forget that that contract exists that Mm -hmm. you're gonna throw him into the hot seat well you have to know that that's the contract situation the hot seat discussion will not pick up until next year at least until that deal starts i think um, especially if he fumbles the bag again this year. Yeah,
1: I think there's going to be a couple of uh, a couple of key indicators once he starts to get on the hot seat, because right now he's in a comfortable position. Yeah. He's won a couple Stanley Cups. He's widely regarded as one of the best head coaches in the league. And for, for what it's worth, he is one of the best head coaches in the league. I, mm-hmm. I still fully believe that. And he has the assistance that he wants, and he's had them for the past couple of seasons. Those assistants are going to be the first thing to go. If there needs to be a shock to the system for the Pittsburgh Penguins, it's going to be, hey, associate coach Todd Reardon is not getting the job done. Assistant coach Mike Volucci is not getting the job done. Kyle Dubas and Fenway Sports Group, knowing how much that they trust in Mike Sullivan, knowing how good of a coach Mike Sullivan has been over his career, they're not just going to can him and say, OK, we're starting fresh because this is not an organization right now with Crosby and Malkin in the stages of their career that they're in, they can just say, hey, turn the page, we're starting completely fresh with the with the coaching staff. What mm-hmm. they're going to say is, hey, here's a, here's a notice for you, Mike. Todd's gone. Todd's gone. You, we need more from you. This is a, a wake-up call. That's going to happen before Mike Sullivan happens, but I still see the root of this question. I still see it on Mike Sullivan to try to, to switch this tide and try to get the blown
0: lead issue figured out. Yeah, and Todd Reardon, the guy who has coached in this league before as a head coach, can easily do it again. Why do you think he was promoted to associate coach? He can do it yeah. again someday. Uh, Mike Vellucci, interviewed for the Anaheim job. Not a phenomenal out, uh, not a phenomenal place to go coach, but for a first-time head coach, a growing team, good for him. He has a chance to become a head coach in this league as well. Forgetting the rest of the assistants, but it, that's those are the core. That's Those are the main three mm-hmm. for the coaching staff. Yeah, it's Fenway came in and immediately backed their guy in Mike Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh Dubas came in and immediately backed Mike Sullivan. So you know for the time being, it's not Sullivan that's going anywhere. We'll see what the no. assistants do and how that how that turns out. I know I think they are in the last year of their deals. I was about
1: to say, yeah, I think they're they're on the last year of their contracts.
0: I think so. So it it'll be interesting to see how that turns out, but that's we're not gonna be really focused on focusing in on that until things really go downhill or this this upcoming summer which is about 300 some days away
1: yeah so yeah at the end of the day it is only game one none of these yeah. conversations are actually happening but the the root of it is mike sullivan is not on the hot seat he's not gonna be on the hot seat but he he needs to he needs to be held accountable for for this issue that we saw on Tuesday and hopefully don't see uh, again for a little bit of time. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Mike Sullivan did do something interesting on Tuesday, and that was the deployment of his defense. We'll talk about that after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The The defense was a big question mark coming into the season because you introduced Ryan Graves as your top pairing left-hand defenseman. And more specifically, and more importantly, you introduce Eric Carlson into the fold. And you know changes are going to need to be made to the system, to the way you deploy defensemen. And Tuesday was our first opportunity to see what they did now. I will say this, the Penguins took four minor penalties on Tuesday, including two in the third period when we saw the most movement amongst defensemen. So this could just all be a victim of circumstance, considering where the Penguins were at in that game, which tweaked the deployment. But the first chance we got to see the actual deployment of the Penguins defense, it got interesting. Obviously, everybody wanted to know how will Letang and Carlson split their ice time. Eric Carlson led all Pittsburgh Penguins skaters with 26 minutes and 4 seconds of ice time on Tuesday, including 2 minutes and 40 seconds on the power play. Chris Letang had 24 minutes and 32 seconds, so a minute and a half separated. Seems like they're going to try to get them... Evenly matched throughout the game, and there was only nine minutes and twenty four seconds of that entire game on Tuesday where one of those two wasn't on the ice. So, what did you think, Horwat, of the early deployment between those two specifically?
0: I think it's exactly as we expected, um, especially heading in. I mean, maybe had Latang been on the first power play unit with uh, with Carlson, maybe the numbers are a little bit closer. Because I mean, yeah, they only had two chances. Um, but there was still, maybe that's still a little bit more. Cause I noticed that first unit was out there for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, on that first one and on that first power play opportunity, at least I'm not surprised that this is the way it turned out. I'm curious to see if it continues to trend in this direction. Um, we know going into, you know, the season, whenever they were required. Everyone mentioned like these are guys that you can have out there. There's sixty minutes in a game. You could have both of them out there for fifty or combined for fifty.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh and then you're just sitting on your third line for your ten ten or so minutes, which isn't bad at all. The issue that might grow from that is, is like I said before, I mean Eric Carlson's gonna make a lot of forwards play defense. Of <laughs> course the tang already does a fair bit of that, but is at least a little bit more mindful defensively. Um Suddenly, it's a lot of defensive, uh, a lot of defensive weight being put on the left side guys like Ryan Graves, like Marcus Patterson, and to an extent, Pio Joseph, who saw time all over the place. I, mm-hmm. I know you want to discuss it. We will, uh, but for now, I think, I'm sure this will even up. I bet we'll see more. I'm sure we'll see games where Chris Letang gets a couple more minutes than Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson takes the back seat. Eric Carlson takes. You know, this game he's gonna play more. It'll be very, very interesting to see how this rolls out. Um, mm. Considering Letang's age, we know he's very well uh, uh, conditioned. We're not worried about his conditioning. Be curious to see if Mike Sullivan really does start flip flopping the lines in terms of who, of like even the left side guys getting deployed more or less. Um, if you know the lineup comes out, all the time we some, some all the time we'll look at it and we'll say. Yeah, these are just four lines. They're, don't number them. Don't go one, two, three, four. That's not how it's going to work. I'm just wondering if he's going to start doing that with the defense this year. And here are the three lines. There's the obvious third. But one and two are going to be flipped in terms of who is deployed first or second. Especially mm. when you consider Malkin and Latang did not share the ice much last uh, last game.
1: No. No, it was a lot of Eric Carlson and of getting Malkin in the early going here. I mean, that That's, again... We'll see what happens. It's only one game, but I do think it was very interesting to see, and we'll get to the P.O. Joseph thing because it seemed as if they said, you know what, here's what it's going to be to start, and then whatever we want to do, we'll just start throwing guys over the boards, and we'll see if that works, but uh, at least in the early going, it was very intriguing, and certain players had very solid games. Um, We'll get to P.O. Joseph here in a second because he was one of them, Uh, but you mentioned there was about a minute and 32 second discrepancy when it comes to actual ice time for for Carlson and Latang. Meanwhile, Chris Latang played a minute and 20 seconds less on the power play. So there is there is your separator right there. What did you think of
0: the Penguins dropping Chris Latang to power play 2 to start the season? Uh, you know, it's what, when we first acquired Eric Carlson, when the Penguins first did it that was the first thing that really came out it was well chris letang said he i forget where this who had it i believe I it, it maybe, was it was the athletic it was one of rossi or yoey yeah it was, someone had said uh, letang's willing to take the second unit he's willing to take a step back on the power play and take the second mm-hmm. unit all right and we were cool with that we said yeah absolutely that makes sense you know that's a good quarterback for the second unit to give power play two a little bit more cohesion in terms of setting up and not just Balls to the wall. Everyone's doing what they can. It's, <laughs> yeah. it is now that we can set it up. We can do the umbrella. We can do the, whatever, you know, shifting momentum of the, that the first power play unit does can now be added to the second because you have a real deal quarterback there. Then we got to camp and it was, Oh, they're both out there. Well, that's an interesting little concept. Let's see how it goes. And it was a tire fire, but then it started, but then it started like figuring it out. It started clicking, clicking a little more. Um, and it's interesting that as it started really... I don't want to say gaining momentum because it was still kind of sloppy. But as it started finding that mold, finding that cohesion, Mike Sullivan said, that's enough of that. And threw Latang to the second unit. I think he did that for the final tune-up game. And if not, if anything, the two days of practice before the home opener. Uh, Latang was on the second unit. No one mentioned it. I didn't think anything of it. I thought maybe... It was just everyone getting reps just with everyone to see how it goes. And then come game one, uh, Latang was plopped on the second unit. Mm-hmm. And clearly it was noticed in terms of the ice time because that first unit was out there for about a minute 45 of the first penalty, it seemed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a little bit less in the second, but still just there's going to be that discrepancy there in terms of ice time. But. I don't hate the idea of those two separating. It's because that's how we came into the trade. Hmm. Uh, It's a matter of finding that cohesion for the second unit, though.
1: Yeah, I don't don't disagree. I'm perfectly fine with Chris Letang quarterback in the second power play because if you look at who's left over for the second power play unit, that leaves, you know, Brian Rust, Chris Letang. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Jeff Carter's out there on that unit. Um, So, again, a pretty... Jansen Harkins is out there, too, by the way. Jansen Harkins is on that unit, yeah.
0: I know he had 50 points or whatever it may have been uh, in the AHL last year. He's got like 12 career goals in the NHL. I don't know if that's generally the wisest idea. But at the same time, and we've had this discussion before too, who else do you have to put there? Yeah, I know Riley Smith would probably be an
1: option. But again, you still need that third guy and potentially fourth forward if you're not going to deploy
0: two defensemen on the second unit. Yeah, it's... We like what Kyle Dubas has done to this team, but it it takes away from a second power play unit. I I mean, Riley Smith is already there. He's already on that second unit. It's, what, Smith, I said Harkins, Carter, which, ugly. And then Chris Letang and... Brian uh, Rust. And Brian Rust, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Throw any other forward out there. Throw Drew O'Connor out there with, instead of carter maybe throw but i know we know mike sullivan loves uh his jeff carter face-offs so Mm. it's tough that's tough but i just jason harkins doesn't necessarily strike offensive fear and neither does jeff carter anymore
1: no, I mean, Jeff Carter is the, the quintessential net front presence for that second unit. It's pretty obvious. Uh, Jansen Harkins is somebody that we will discuss, and I've talked about, literally, talked about it in the Iceberg Recap Show directly after the game on Tuesday. I talked about it, you know, kind of a little bit yesterday on Penguins or Iceberg to go. Got to talk about it again here later today. Just going to let you know that one. Uh, but with Latang on the second power play in this game, I, I had the same thought that you had. Why make this switch now? They've been practicing together with Latang on the first unit throughout all of camp. And I understand that, you know, Jake Gensel is back, but what went into the decision when they were, you know, that unit specifically was two for three in the final tune-up game against Buffalo. It finally started to gain steam. What went into the decision that said, you know, Raquel was in Gensel's spot, but we're just going to move Raquel to where Latang is, bump Latang down and put Gensel in his regular spot. It feels like it was a little too much of, hey, you know, let's, Obviously, get Gensel out there, but let's overthink this a little bit. Let's say, oh, well, let's let's let us let Raquel get an opportunity because he did score a good bit of power play goals last season. I understand that that could be something you go with, but the way that that was trending and especially with how bad it was to start, right? They started from a horrible base for that power play at trading camp and it started to click. It started to get better. And then you kind of just broke it all down right at the first game of the season and said, hey, uh. Start from scratch. You know, let's change some things up because Ricard Raquel's very talented. I'm not going to dispute that. But Ricard Raquel and Chris Letang are entirely different players Yeah, and what they want to do, the way they think the game. So to put him there and then introduce Gensel there as well, it just felt like too many changes between a day where the power play looked effective against Buffalo in the final preseason game and four
0: days later on the opening game of the regular season. Yeah, it's... It, the The fact that they were practicing it for that long, and like I said, they were just starting to find that mold and that cohesion. I don't, I don't think it's gone. I bet they go back to it. They give it another shot. Probably. And Ricard Raquel, you're right. He he's a, he is a very talented offensive forward and can score goals. But does he really strike you in in the grand scheme of this lineup right now? Does he really strike you as the as a top power play unit guy? Not me. I'd say he's well well-deserved on a power play unit, um, but could absolutely be a linchpin for the second mm-hmm. with Brian Rust, with Riley Smith, and then screw it. Give me a pair of defensemen. Give me P.O. Joseph. That's fine. And Marcus Peterson wants to be used in more, in more ways than one. I think give him an opportunity there and just see how it goes. I know it's two lefties mm-hmm. now, um, but I think that's just kind of a good mindset to have. Then you can use, I don't, I don't know what Harkins' defensive ability brings. I think it's decent. I think it's there. Yeah. Then you have him available to you know be utilized on the penalty kill a little more. Uh, same with Jeff Carter. When when those winning those draws to start a penalty kill is huge. I I'm sure he's I didn't pay enough attention. I'm sure I could check the numbers if um, Carter was being used on the PK. Yes, he was at least a little bit. Um, it's a matter. Maybe he gets a little bit more. And, you know, it's – sorry, I just kind of lost track. I thought I got like four messages at once. But if if you're able to utilize Carter a little more in the PK, he's winning those draws. He's getting, you know, good defense – you're getting good defense out of him. The PK did phenomenal the other night, by the way.
1: I think the numbers are good. I I do think there were times where I was a little worried about the PK because –
0: you saw Connor Bajari get that puck and it was
1: a little scary. Well, yeah, I, my my heart sank into my chest like sank into my chest a couple times when he got the puck because he was literally and that's the thing. He he looked good enough early on that that became the initial reaction like the hype and everything yeah. it just compounded and you were like, "Oh, this guy is for real." Okay, yeah. good to know. But no, I, I think the biggest problem with the penalty kill was clearing the puck. They yeah. had so many issues actually clearing the puck 200 feet. And it's like, guys, it's high off the boards. And if you can find it through the middle, find the open lane and send it down. Mm-hmm. If you, There were times where the Penguins took the puck. They didn't have anybody on them. And they still couldn't get the puck cleared. I didn't know what was going on. But I, I digress on that point. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like That, that feels like, power play-wise... At the end of the day, it's Raquel or, or Latang for that spot.
0: I would have chosen Latang at least to start. At least to start, have some fun. It's game yeah. one, national national audience. The Connor Bedard <laughs> debut. You're, like let's like, in terms of just storytelling, the NHL did a great job of assigning that as the first game. Sorry, second game. That that weird, awkward timed 5:30. Andre Vasilevsky's injured, of all things. Tampa Bay, Nashville. Yeah, because those two teams, well, Tampa Bay, yeah, but Nashville getting a spotlight, interesting. It was the second game of the year. It was the headline. It seemed to catch more eyes and more attention than the banner raising in Vegas, which was cool. But you have the national attention. You have the national audience, probably the international audience because of the Badar debut. Screw it. Have some fun. You know, it's, And because we are looking at the blown lead as it's game one, we learn from it, we move on. It's game one, you learn from, you move on, you have a little fun. Here goes all of our firepower on the first power play. Everyone's here watching. Yeah. You all know we have Eric Carlson. We still have Chris Letang, too. Suddenly, you're just turning it into a little WWE. <laughs> Everyone is watching. Here is all of our firepower right here.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Gensel was
0: playing. He ended up, yeah. right, and that's a big part, of too. Gensel ended up playing. Uh, You have all of the eyes. That just would have been fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I I highly doubt Mike Sullivan would ever take the stage that is set right. <laughs> for anything that he actually does on the ice, and I know you know that too. Uh, but it certainly it certainly makes sense to, to give Latang another shot there, whatever he'd been practicing there for the first you know week and a half uh, of training camp. So r- regardless, let's let's talk a little bit about Po Joseph before we had to break because that was the real interesting thing. Because yes, yeah, Latang, Carlson, how they're deployed, that's going to be intriguing. But Pio Joseph, and he had a very good game. He performed well with everybody he played with. And when I say everybody he played with, I mean he played with everybody on the right side. Yes, he was paired up with Chad Ruedel to start the game. He played five minutes and 15 seconds of, of five-on-five ice time with him. And they had 100% of the expected goals for in their five-and-a-half minutes of ice time. And we all said... Whoever's on the third pairing is not going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting. They're not going to have a lot of ice time. They're going to probably be deployed in in half decent situations to start. And they went out there and together at five on five, they looked great. And Chad Ruweedle, I think he had seven minutes of ice time total. He was perfect. You know, couldn't be better defensively than Chad Ruweedle was in his seven minutes of ice time when Ruweedle was with Joseph. They were perfect, hundred percent of the expected goals for. You can't literally can't ask for anything better than that. But I found it interesting that 5 minutes 15 with Ruedel, but then combined with Letang and Carlson when he went on the ice with them, he played 5 minutes and 1 second. So he played almost as much time with Letang and Carlson as he did with his actual defense partner in Chad Ruedel. He had 2 minutes and 47 seconds with Chris Letang, and when he was with him, they had 86.4% of the expected goals for at 5-on-5, and then he spent 2 minutes and 16 seconds at 5-on-5 with Eric Carlson, and he had 41.5% of the expected goals for with Eric Carlson. So a stellar game, uh, for the most part, from P.O. Joseph. I thought he was also fairly decent on the penalty kill, but interestingly enough, and especially in the third period, you saw that left side start to rotate more and more. You saw Pedersen play with Chris Letang a couple of shifts. You saw Graves play with Carlson a couple of shifts. So interesting dynamic there, and again, first game, and I said it on the outside of the segment, might be you know, a product of what was happening in the game, you had a lead, you took two penalties early, you were gassing your guys like Graves, like Pedersen, who were killing those penalties, maybe that's why you had P.O. Joseph play on those other lines, but certainly the splits inspire a unique perspective, because I think going into that third period, and I might be mistaken, I might be mem- remembering when they said it right wrong, but Sean McDonough said that Mike Sullivan said that they were going to switch up the left side. They were going to rotate the left side and try to get them more ice time for a guy like Pio Joseph with guys like a Chris Letang or like an Eric Carlson. So if this was premeditated not a product of the game, that'll be intrig- very intriguing to watch throughout the season. And it also goes to show how much respect they have for Pio Joseph's game.
0: Yeah, they, they love Pio Joseph on this team. I, I noticed it happening a couple of times. The first time I caught it, I think it was right after... a Right after a penalty kill, which is usually when completely jumbled lines happen. Yeah. Um, but still, I it, then I just kind of picked up on it a little more. Um, very interesting. That was interesting to keep an eye on. I don't have too many thoughts on it. We all enjoy what P.O. Joseph brings to this team, A, defensively, and B, as a sneaky little puck mover. Yeah. Um, We'll just see how it progresses and grows from here. I'd be curious to see if it continues. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, more ice time for P.O. Joseph is not a bad thing.
1: No, I certainly not, especially when he's performing the way that he did. My only concern with this, and again, it's not a concern now, but it's a concern if this continues. How does that affect the chemistry? Because there's a lot of new faces, a lot of new combinations that you're trying to get, you know, up to speed with each other. You got Graves and, and Latang that have never played with each other before. You have Pedersen and Carlson that have never played with each other. Obviously, Graves and Carlson have never played with each other either. You have a lot of new combinations that are, fresh to each other. How does this affect the chemistry? It might not at all. These guys are professionals after all. But if you continue to do this game after game, can they still build that you know rapport together? Can they still build that chemistry and become dominant units on their own when they're not getting switched around like this? That's, that's the only downfall in my mind, but I do like the ride-the-hot-hand mentality for a team that often you know, says we're going to try to roll our four lines if we're playing our best game instead of, hey, P.O. Joseph's looking good. We should get him some more time with Eric Carlson. We should get him some more time with Chris Letang, and we should make sure that, yes, well, Ch- Chad wheel had seven minutes of ice time. We need to make sure that, that P.O. Joseph gets at least a little bit more than that, and I think he finished with the hair over ten and a half. We need to make sure that P.O. Joseph is utilized a little bit more than just, hey, you're out there to fill time for these other guys to get a blow.
0: Yeah, it's someone said before that the way their system is set up is that um, everyone is able to pretty much play with everyone. It's pretty fluid, or at least the kind of chemistry is built there that um, everyone has a similar enough game or has a similar enough mindset that wherever they land and with whoever their linemate is, it's going to line up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think we're just seeing that in practice. We're seeing that get utilized. Yeah. Um, I'm into it going forward. It's a fun little concept. That's the way it should be. Everyone should be able to play with everyone. I mean, what have we been saying all camp? A, everyone can play with everyone. And B, every forward can play every position. Yeah. This is just more of that getting produced into the regular season.
1: Yeah, it's Mike Sullivan's thing, position flexibility. But uh, before we go to break. I do just want to highlight Pio Joseph in general had a strong game. I mean, 62% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5, five five, 70% of the expected goals at 5-on-5, five five, and the Penguins outshot the Chicago Blackhawks 12-5 to five with him on the ice. So a solid game from the third-pairing defenseman entering his second full season with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, debuting a new segment, The Double-Edged Sword, coming up next. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, debuting a new segment here called the Double-Edged Sword. We're usually going to use this to look back on the week that was for the Pittsburgh Penguins, take one positive takeaway, share another negative takeaway from each of us, and then call it a day. But since there's only been one game, and I don't think either of us want to reach back into the preseason or training camp, we're going to go solely based off of the game against the Chicago Blackhawks for this one. So... Positive and a negative, double-edged sword. Horwat, lead us off with your negative to
0: start. Uh, It's the easy one. It's that blown lead. It's that, yeah. that haunting darkness of what was all of last year. Again, like we said, we won't have to get too much into detail of this, but hmm. it was what the downfall of last year was. If you did this in two weeks' time, maybe we don't talk as much about it. We just say you can't do that anymore. We had these issues last year. Don't let them regrow. Whereas it was game one. All the attention was on you. All of the excitement and hype going into the season was there. Uh, mm. It just felt dirty. It felt like you didn't really clean up from last season. Mm. Um, that And that kind of thing just can't continue. So I'd say that's the obvious, the big, clear, that's the negative.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I obviously think that that's the takeaway from the game. Everybody said, you know, that's the main storyline for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Exiting that game was, man, another blown lead. It followed them into the Dubas era. So, yeah, I, I would – Obviously, we talked about it in the first segment, so yeah, I can see why you would go with that. My negative, and uh, I mentioned it Tuesday night after the game, Wednesday a little bit, about 20 minutes ago I mentioned it, my negative coming out of that game was the performance of the third line. I thought Drew O'Connor and Jansen Harkins just looked a little overwhelmed at times, Jansen Harkins more so than Drew O'Connor, and Lars Eller did not make any standout plays that were really positive. He did pick up a secondary assist on the opening goal of the game, but you know, at the end of the day, that play was made by Chris Letang and made by Brian Rust. I just think throughout the game, Lars Eller kind of faded into the background. And you might want that for a fourth liner where, hey, this low event hockey, not much is happening. But the Penguins need their third line to start executing a little bit more and start contributing a little bit more. And fading into the background is just not an option uh, for a guy like Lars Eller. If he continues to play like that, mm-hmm. then, you know, Sam Poulin is, is chomping at the bit to get to the NHL and make a name for himself this year. He's had a stellar camp. We'll see how it goes whenever Wilkes-Barre-Scranton's season begins. But if Lars Eller is going to continue to fade to the back, he's going to lose his job pretty quickly, or at least should lose his job pretty quickly. But it is one game. I, was, I think it was more so because I was very excited to see what that line was able to yeah. do, and I was disappointed by it. But the next game is massive for this line. Lars Eller returns to Washington for the first time. Jansen Harkins should flourish in a game like that where it's tight checking, it's physical, it's a rivalry atmosphere. From what we've seen from Jansen Harkins over the past eight days, it seems like the type of game that he would thrive in. And then Drew O'Connor, I don't know. I mean, just you need a little bit more. I, I think the forechecking was the biggest issue with me with Drew O'Connor. I, I didn't see him really get in on the forecheck enough, and I think that goes for the rest of the team. But a guy in O'Connor who's you know made his bones in this organization with that. I, I I was a little disappointed in the result that he put out there on Tuesday night.
0: That's fair. I, I didn't notice a lot of Drew O'Connor. He had that one good break, um, and a couple of good uh defensive plays. It just wasn't he wasn't as noticeable as you would have liked him to be. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's kind of where I that went that that went for the whole third line. And like I said, Jansen Harkins mm-hmm. being on this team, as much as he earned his spot and deserves it, I don't know how long it'll last. That's just I mean, we talked about it. Dubas weaponized waivers for
1: a reason. If you're not going to perform, there is a half dozen guys that got sent down to the, the wilkes barre Grand Penguins, namely a guy like redeem Zahorna that they will call up and they will
0: supplant you in the lineup with. Yeah. Zahorna, Nylander, Poulain's going to need a little time, but we'll get to him. Um, I mean, Kyle Dubas said before the season started, right? Uh, the last couple of questions in that presser, he did that, He expects Alex Nylander to be... He expects Alex Nylander to be in the NHL by the end of the season. That's an expectation of him. And that he wouldn't be shocked if Poulin was the same way. Yeah. So those are two guys that are immediately that you look at and with that kind of expectation from your president and GM, all right, watch those guys for the next couple of weeks to start. Watch how they perform over the course of the first month, two months. If the expectation is regular NHL or by the end of the season, they should be looking ready to go mm-hmm. by December, January.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll obviously have to keep an eye on what they're doing in, in Wilkes Bear, but. Certainly heading into the season, that that is an expectation, like you mentioned, of Dubas, and it's an expectation of ours as well here on this yeah. show. But uh, let's finish this off really quickly with our positive takeaways, uh, the other side of the double-edged sword, the positives, because we like to finish things on a positive note here, Horwat, What are your positive, or what is your positive, uh, leaving
0: Tuesday's game and heading into Friday's game? Huh suddenly I can't think of one just I'd say overall that the core does still look talented they do still look hungry and good and that uh Eric Carlson looks like he's ready to go I'm gonna say the overall positive for me is that the key guys do Mm -hmm. look sharp even Tristan Jari looked kind of sharp for the most part yeah um and ready to go I think Eric Carlson had a really good good couple of opportunities on the on the power play um, uh, mm-hmm. Senior Crosby obviously picked up a goal. Uh, Jake Gensel looked up to speed. Um, Malkin, yeah, well, Malkin had a Malkin game, I think. Yeah, there were times where, where I looked at Evgeny Malkin and I said, mm. Where's that extra stride? Where's that extra effort? It, it, yeah, Malkin it, had it, a very it, Malkin game.
1: It, it's the home opener, dude. Kick it into high gear. Let's go. Let's go, Gino. Like, this is real hockey now, not preseason anymore. But, uh, my my positive at the end of the day uh, goes along with yours. So uh, my positive was Jake Gensel. I mean, yeah. not not only did he return a few weeks ahead of schedule, but he looked he looked good, especially in the offensive zone. The chemistry with Sid, as you could tell, on the goal. Didn't miss a beat. I mean, those two passes are kind of ridiculous. I I believe they do that before every game in warm-ups anyway. They stand literally in basically those exact same spots, and they just pass it through when everybody else is shooting and and taking their their practice and warm-up shots. So it's not something that they don't do often, but it's something that they executed at a high level in their first game together this season. And also, just because he's so important to this team to see him come in, and yes, it was his first game. There were times where you could say, oh, okay, Jake... You probably would have been better off uh, waiting another couple days, or at least you you can tell that it's because it's his first game action of the year. But, I mean, he's important to this team. The Penguins have struggled at finishing for years now, right? For a couple of seasons now, they've struggled to finish opportunities and capitalize on high-danger scoring chances. But he led the team in shooting percentage last season. He shot at 14.8% last year, and he is 100% the best scoring threat, the biggest scoring threat on this team. I understand that Crosby is ultra-talented. I understand that Eric Carlson is ultra-talented. But when it comes to finishing opportunities, Jake Gensel is their top threat, and that's the reason he's led this team in scoring for two straight seasons. But I thought he had a good game. I think that's my positive coming out of the game. Not only that he played, which was impressive enough to be able to come back that soon from injury, but he had an impact on the game and it was a positive impact. So cheers to to Jake, and we'll see if he can build off of that here uh, against Washington in about
0: 30 hours. Yeah, something like that. in so, a little bit of time. When the Lazella return for Washington. Yeah, uh, yeah I think Jake Enzel, like I said, he looked up to speed pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. Um, there may still be some growing pains here and there. There might be a couple of things where he needs to catch up to. But, I mean, it, it was a, overall kind of a disappointing game. Like I said, we had all the hype going in, all the momentum going in. And just to see it crash and burn like that. And you're you're going to walk out of it thinking that wasn't a great game by most people's standards. Um, but oh, I'd say Jake Gensel performed perfectly fine for his mm-hmm. first game in months. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll see if he's able to build off of that this weekend with back-to-back games. It's going to be a true test uh, of his conditioning. I know he's been skating since the opening of training camp, but skating at a, at a game speed, that's a, different, uh, that's a different animal. We'll see how they're going to be able to handle that with Washington – on the road Friday night, and then back at home on Saturday, taking on the Calgary Flames. But that's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins or anywhere you get your podcasts from. We'll see you guys next time.